0: Uh, so if I say the name Dave Thomas, yeah. that mean anything to you? Oh, yeah. How many know the, the word or the name Dave Thomas? How many? I want to see a show of hands. Okay. And what would you say? What would you say comes to mind immediately when you say Dave Thomas? Uh, Wendy's. Wendy's. Give it up for Wendy's. Yeah, that's good. In 1993, despite having dropped out of high school rather early, Dave Thomas went back to Colonial Creek High School in Fort Lauderdale, Florida to receive his GED. He was 60 years old at the time. And then he went on to establish the Thomas Center at Duke University yeah. along... Different people have different wake-up calls. <laughs> I meet people 20 years after I preached a message, and you wouldn't believe the thing the one thing they remembered out of my sermon. nothing to do with the sermon. But also he's more known for uh, the uh, what was called the Enterprise Ambassador program at Nova University. Now, there are no Nova fans, I guess. Both programs focus on business-related education. Now, when, after he stepped down, and he, and he stepped down from the company uh, at, a, at a fairly early age, I mean, for uh, a business founder and executive, but after he did that, he kind of transitioned for the company, and his new order of business was to visit franchisees suggesting that uh, they acquire an MBA, which in this what, what, anybody, when I say MBA, just off, the, off my tongue like that, does anybody, everybody know what an MBA is? What degree that is? Just, just holler it out if you know. Yeah, well, in Dave's case, this was not the master of business administration, and he'd be very, very quick to remind you. But instead, it stood for mock bucket attitude. That's an attitude of putting the customer first and serving them eagerly, even if your last dollar depends on it. Because it will. It was a shift back to that mindset of dealing and creating and having an operation that put the customer at the at the center of decisions being made, even, even menu decisions and others that would affect the customer. Dave Thomas said this, and I quote, I got my MBA long before my GED. I even have a photograph of me in my MBA graduation outfit. Here it is, a snazzy knee-length worker apron. I guarantee you I'm the only founder among America's big companies whose picture in the corporate annual report shows him wielding a mop and a plastic bucket. That wasn't a gag. It was a case of leading by example. At Wendy's, he said, MBA does not mean Master of Business Administration. It means mop-bucket attitude. It's how we define satisfying the customer through cleanliness and quality food and, and, and friendly service and atmosphere. Keep that little story in your mind as I kind of pivot now We have experienced what we call the Passion Week, and I'm happy to still, I'm I'm still kind of immersed in the wonderful Easter season. I like what some of the liturgical churches do. They have the 40 days of Lent followed by 50 days of Easter season. I don't think Easter should be part of one day. I think it should be every day for a a born-again believer. Yeah, he was risen last Sunday. He's still risen today. Amen. Hallelujah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to backtrack a little bit. I hope you don't mind. Well, I, I, it, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I'm going to backtrack. And I think you'll be thanking me for it. And it's a message, if you're trying to get a title, that I call Last Supper, Scene 1. And as has already been advertised, the major scripture emphasis today is found in John chapter 13, and between Pastor Todd and I, we, we, between Pastor Todd and me, we have, been, uh, we have been looking at John chapter 13 a number of times in the last year, but I want, I'm revisiting, and I'd like to consider just three things with you about these verses that we're going to share. And if you're note-taking, here's the first thing I want to share with you. First, I want us to look at what Jesus knew. See, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to return. He was going to leave this world and go back to the Father. The hour was upon him. If you're over in John chapter 12, the previous chapter in verse 27 you would read words like this, now my heart, or my soul, is troubled, and, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. So he knows what's going on, obviously. Something else Jesus know, knew, he was rapidly approaching the most important moments of his earthly life. He knew that the pain and the agony and what awaited him on the cross was very near and was going to be very terrible. The Bible says, having loved his own who were in the world, now he's showing them the full extent of his love. You see, in the upper room, and by the way, I know artists have tried to depict what's called the Last Supper and so on. I don't think there's one thing in any of those great paintings that's accurate. I want to say, well, this isn't right, or that wouldn't be positioned that way, or this way. I I don't think there's one thing that's accurate in those those, uh, paintings. But anyway, enjoy them. He was rapidly approaching this momentous time in his life. Now he's showing these people, the followers, and the followers to come. That includes me, and I hope it includes you. Here he is in the upper room, and the events that follow are of extreme significance. He offers the greatest demonstration of his love for them. His was a love, I like what someone said, his was a love that was action deep. That's a great little for action deep. So here we go to John chapter 13. I want to read the first three verses. If you have your Bible, it would be great for you to follow along, or if you have the app because we're going to do some some referring to a lot of the verses there in that chapter, so keep it open. John 13, 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Look at these next words. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So Jesus knew three things. I'm just going to repeat them. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew that he had come from God and he knew that he was returning to God. And I just have to give you a confession this morning. I've been thinking and talking about this uh, a lot. In the past several weeks, leading up to Easter and since Easter, all this past week, I've just, my thoughts have been centered around these things I'm going to share with you. Jesus knew all about the Passover plan. He knew that they were in in, uh, the Passover season. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew why he was on earth. Jesus was not ignorant of the glory and the authority that the Father had given him and of the glory that awaited him when he returned to the Father, but he knew everything that was going to happen between now, upper room experience, and then. It was because Jesus was secure in his own identity that he could do the lowest of service. You see, it's not the great men who will not serve others. It's insecure men. These people won't serve in lowly tasks and menial uh, responsibilities because they see those things as a challenge to their identity. You see, it's the self-confident person who can risk being humble. Now we're going to slide down to verse 11 of John 13 for he knew who was going to betray him he knew a lot of things didn't he and that was why he said not everyone was clean you see jesus knows about judas and what jesus what he does with that information is important to us he doesn't distance himself from judas so you and i may may have thought that would be the course to take. But he loves Judas even to the end. He does everything possible to bring Judas to repentance. I want to go on record as saying, he does the same for Judas as he does for the other disciples. Jesus knew a lot of things. Having said that and kind of set the concrete foundation for it, first, what Jesus knew. Secondly, if you're note-taking, what Jesus did. Now, John in the writing leaves out some cultural details that will help, and maybe you've never really totally understood. You see, as one came into a house for a meal in those days, the host would provide water and a servant to wash feet. Feet were dirty in Jesus' day. And I don't have to go all through explaining that. I'm sure you can figure that out. Also, when they ate, they reclined at a small, close to the ground table. And so feet were close to each other. They were not under a table like you and I would know. So someone said feet were not only visible, they were also smellable. The basin and the towel were there to wash feet. But something's missing. There's no servant to do this task. One of the disciples should have just jumped up, assumed the role of a serv- servant, and washed the feet. But oh no. Oh no. They were too proud for that. Why? Well, I know that because we find a matter of of discussion on that night that took place. And and you can find it back in Luke 22, verse 24. It says, A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest and who was going to have the best position when they come into the kingdom. Yeah, They were debating this. They were arguing over this. They were having quite a discussion. Let's go back to the dinner. Jesus was the host. This is his last night with his disciples. No one offered to wash his feet. You look at that, and I do, and I think, well, if I'd have been there, I'd be, I'd be just responded. I would have responded with disgust that nobody was doing this. But Jesus responds differently. So let's go down to verses 4 and 5, and let me read. Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. I want you to notice the action words here. He got up, he rose, he got up. He laid aside the garments. He took he took the towel, that's the form of a servant, and he w- went forth to serve Jesus took on the role of servant Jesus stripped down to what would be called his loin a, a clothing like a, like, a, like a slave the towel would have been a long piece of linen I brought a, a piece of linen it might have been this kind of bluish color probably had a little tinge of color to it uh, could have been white uh, it's hard to say But it would be much longer than this, much, much longer. And it would be long enough for Jesus to have wrapped it uh, around his waist and still had enough after that to use the free end to wipe the disciples' feet after washing them. It's quite a picture. It's quite a picture indeed. I I want to say something I've never said before, you, you may never have heard it before, I don't know. Beloved, I want you to hear this. Because if you get this, you might get the whole idea, the whole crux of this Easter passage. This was not new to Jesus. Stay with me. He had done this before. In heaven. Let's look at it and compare. In heaven, he rose or got up from his royal position. In heaven, he laid aside his regal garments. In heaven, he took a towel, emblematic, the sign of a servant, and from there, He went forth to serve, clothed in human flesh. He girded himself, it says. He embedded himself as a human seed in the womb of the very woman he created to be his earthly mother. He got up. He laid aside his heavenly garments. He took on the form of a servant. He embedded himself as a human seed in the woman, in the womb of the very woman he created to be his earthly mother. This woman is going to give birth to him in the human way, but he created her long before that would happen. Hello? And then, some 33 years later, he washes feet in the upper room as a servant to his disciples. When I first came into this realization, I really couldn't even sleep for a while. I I just, it just, have you ever understood? Have you ever understood that little phrase in Scripture? That says Jesus came from the seed of from the seed of a woman? I know there's a lot of crazy stuff being said today, but let me just tell you something. Women don't have seed. The Holy Spirit made all of this possible. And Jesus embedded himself in that woman whom he had created to be his earthly mother. Does that get you excited at all? Yeah, you say it's so, it's so mind-boggling, it's so hard to comprehend, it's so, it's, so, it's so full of meaning to even take in that it's difficult. And I understand that. But I'm here to tell you that has changed my entire perspective on Jesus as a servant and Jesus giving us the example. And he's not just a good teacher, he's not just the great rabbi, he's not just the promised Messiah, he's all that. But long ago, before he ever left heaven, his plan was in place to serve. (laughs) Serve me? Chin up, chin up, and serve you. And he's still doing it today. And then verse 5, Jesus narrates this, or John narrates this, in some detail, to him they they seem like steps leading down to the depth of humility. Like, oh my word, this is this is awful. The whole scene was quite a contrast to the disciples' self Isn't that interesting, the different attitudes that night? These disciples were so self-seeking and they were so ambitious and all they could think of was where, wh- what number am I going to have? Where am I going to be in the pecking order? Hmm. And right in front of them, kneeling down to wash their feet, one after another, is the servant of all servants. Now Jesus washed all the disciples' feet, including Judas, including Judas, and the last one was Simon Peter. And you know, Peter being the last one, that is the dramatic effect of the whole dialogue. That, 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 that conversation that went on between Jesus and Peter. Since he is being, uh, he's been watching all this. And he's probably been continually agitated as he's watching Jesus wash the feet of these other disciples. Now we're going to do a little, if you have your Bible open, it'd be really a help, great help. Going to do a little thumbnail sketch down through the rest of the chapter, a good many verses. And I'm not going to read them all, but I'm just, going to, uh, I'm just going to highlight them. Starting at verse 6. 6 and 7, if you'll just let your eyes scan those, is an example of humility and a symbol of purification that the Lord accomplished for us by reason of his humiliation. The full meaning of the act was afterward revealed to the apostles by the Holy Spirit. You see, after the crucifixion, Peter was able to understand fully the necessity of the humiliation of Jesus. Jesus' work of humiliation didn't begin on the cross. It began in the upper room. Some people would look at the cross, matter of fact, even before the cross. They would look at the kangaroo court. And they would look at the punishment. And they would look at the, at the whipping and the beating. And the and the fake crown and all that stuff. And say, Oh, the humiliation. Before that, even we have the humiliation of the upper room. Oh my. How often do some people protest? Well, I don't agree with that because I don't understand it. One of the best examples I've found over a few years of pastoring is baptism. I have had people say, Well, I don't see what baptism has to do with salvation. I have answers for that, but I won't give them to you right now. How can dipping in water be part of cleansing my soul? No baptism for me. Thanks anyway. I'll take my chances. Uh, I'll just pray through, or I'll, uh, I'll have that let Jesus come into my heart salvation. So like Peter, some will have nothing to do with obeying an action Jesus commanded because they just don't get it. And Peter kept going on and on and on with Jesus because he didn't get it. He wouldn't stop long enough to, to fathom this and to think about this and to get, get a hold of what was really happening until after the crucifixion. Then if you go to verse 8, Jesus must cleanse us, or we can't be clean, we can't be his. And the cleansing is on his terms, it's not on ours. The foot washing was just a token of that great cleansing to which we all must submit. Cleansing that Jesus would make available through his total humiliation on the cross. If Peter can't embrace the humiliation of the basin and the towel and the the foot washing, how will he ever embrace the humiliation of the cross? And without the cross humiliation, who of us has any chance of salvation. Some people who desperately need Jesus, maybe they also need the church if they need Jesus, no doubt they do, but they just kind of go on in a life, like Peter, just refusing as long as they can. In many cases, they're too proud to accept any assistance or any advice. And for them, there's no trouble that they can't handle on their own. That's what they say. And I want to put out a word of caution to those of you that have the servant's heart. You have your MBA. Don't be surprised that when you serve others, some are gonna not, not going to be pleased with you. When you wash feet, Whatever that means today could be different forms of different things. We need to embrace, we need to brace for some, for some criticism no matter how noble our motives might be. And I say brace for criticism because criticisms will come. Peter didn't want to be washed. And this humble act of foot washing also didn't change Judas's mind. However, Please don't let a few bad reactions, Peter and Judas. Peter was no better than Judas in that upper room. Don't let a few bad reactions from someone stop you from doing what you know is God's will in the matter of service. Verses 9 and 10. Peter's now going overboard, as usual. You'd say, well, it can't be Peter because he hasn't gone overboard. Oh, yeah. I mean, he literally went overboard, right? One time. When he finally got done going overboard, what did he do? Eventually, he learned to simply obey the Lord rather than keep offering better ideas. I used to think Peter worked for the Ford Motor Company because they always used to advertise, Ford has a better idea. This is something we all need to learn. We need to learn how to simply obey the Lord rather than always have better ideas. So, what Jesus knew, and he knew a lot of things, didn't he? What Jesus did, unbelievable, unbelievable. And thirdly, what Jesus taught. I jump to verse 12 now. Jesus wanted the disciples to understand the significance of his actions, both short-term and long-term. Because, uh, as I look at now, I realize they didn't really understand what was going on and he was trying his best to reassure them. Verse 13 He stresses his relationship to his disciples. He says, yes, I am your teacher and Lord. No doubt about that. And you know, we are his disciples, that is, followers and learners of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful title? Isn't that a wonderful title? Yeah. We who know Jesus are also his disciples, that is, follower, learners of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful title? And then verse 14 and 15, Jesus set an example. And whenever he sets an example, it's an example for us to follow. It's not just for show. Jesus is saying this, and I quote, do as, as I have done. I want you to be very careful that you watch your wording here. Jesus didn't say, do what I have done. And this means to do similar things to what Jesus has done. He's not instituting a footwashing ordinance or ceremony for the church. Some churches have it. I would not be against it, but I'm not promoting it as an ordinance of the church. Jesus is, t- There are all forms of foot washing. Jesus is taking just a very familiar custom of the time that everybody in that room was very, very familiar with, and using it as an object lesson to teach a greater truth. He's using foot washing in the upper room as a most appropriate way of showing the proper spirit, hear this, hear this, hear this, of humble service. Might be something different in our day than foot washing, and we could list all kinds of things. Well, let me just ask, I'm going to flip back here for a minute, let me just ask the Dave Thomas uh, question, uh, uh Uh, do, Do you have an MBA? And then as I look at verse 16 and 17 following, Jesus is the master, we are the servants. He's saying that those who know and do these things will be blessed. Those who know and do these things will be blessed. Peter, can't you just obey? Can't you just do what Jesus instructs you to do? Why do you always have to have everything explained and you always have a better idea? See, the real blessing of the Christian life comes in service. I knew I'd get this response. And so a long time back, I had a note put in. I, put a, I had a, a comment put in my notes. It's right here. Says repeat, yeah, yeah. The obvious things that are so they can actually be life-transforming can sometimes just be missed. And if you, I find if you respond, you're, you you show that you're you're not just here bodily, but you're also here spiritually, and you're also here with with the mind and the heart and and the love of God. And if I ever said this once, I'd like to stand here and say it a hundred times. The real blessing of the Christian life comes in service. Jesus met the need. I find it interesting with Jesus. He always goes beyond just the physical things and he meets our spiritual needs even when he's fixing our physical things. My friends, the greatest human tragedy is for a person to never receive Jesus Christ and his mercy. But now the second greatest tragedy, humanly speaking, is that a person receives Christ and his grace but that never translates into service toward others. And that person just becomes a big sponge. Taking it in, taking it in, taking it in, taking it in. You know what? If you're one of those people, what you need to pray today, Lord, squeeze me. What happens when you squeeze a full sponge? Yeah. Yeah. It goes everywhere, doesn't it? Huh? You can't hold it. You can't contain it. Some people are so selfish that after salvation and baptism, sometimes people think that that's all all it's about. Uh, Just getting my needs met right now. Just getting my feet washed right now. Just getting my agenda uh, recognized right now just getting my idea accepted just getting my needs met and they never receive the blessing that Christ here is talking about and exampling a mark of spiritual maturity is when a Christian takes off the bib and puts on the apron Mark ten forty-five. put it in your notes for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hallelujah. So you say, this is about foot washing, this is about service, this is about, uh, this is, uh, about humiliation, if you will. This is about bringing yourself down in humility to a place. What does it mean to wash the feet of others? Well, I'm glad we asked that question, because if you look at this story, you'll be prompt, you prompt. You, it would prompt you to say, well, what does it mean to wash the feet of others today in our world? It means, one, we humble ourselves. It means, two, we get down to where the need really is. And three, it means we do something about that need. You see, I'm here to tell you it's a whole lot easier to talk about service, think about service, pray about service, fantasize about service, hear sermons about service, than to actually do service. The blessing, the joy, the happiness, the fulfillment is not found in talking about it or hearing about it. It's found in actually doing it. Is there a need that you could meet? Is there someone near you who needs your help. They need their feet washed, so to speak. Or some service that could make that person's burden lighter. Acts 20 and verse 35 says the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the essence of service. Dr. Carl Menninger, the world famous psychiatrist, known around the world. He was answering uh, questions in a little Q&A after giving a lecture a lecture on mental health. That's his specialty. And one person raised their hand and was recognized and asked the question, Dr. Menninger, what would you advise someone to do if he felt a nervous breakdown coming on? Now, if that were asked of me, I would have said, check your calendar, because most everybody I've ever counseled has had a nervous breakdown, is in the middle of one, or will be having one as soon as they can fit it into their calendar. (laughs) What would you do, doctor? What would you advise someone to do if that person felt a nervous breakdown coming on? Nerves don't break down, by the way. Most people expected the doctor to say, consult a a psychiatrist at once. But he didn't. Instead, the great doctor manager said, I quote, Lock up your house, (laughs) go across the railroad tracks, find someone in need, and do something to help that person. I like that. Jesus was trying to show the disciples that he came to serve. He didn't come to be served. Interesting, in one of the commentaries on the Gospel of John, it says the Greek word for laid aside or laid down is the same Greek word used in chapter 10 of John for laying down a life. When the text says he rose from supper and laid aside his garments, that meant that was over for the time being and he was on a new mission to come to earth to lay down his life. John was really trying to show that Jesus was a servant who was willing to lay down his life for the sake of all humanity. Count me in. On the cross, Jesus spread out his arms and he welcomed all the sins of humanity as the true servant of God. Hey, I got an idea. You try spreading your arms out like that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Be careful your neighbor. You don't have to bat anybody. Go ahead. This is your chance, Mom. Go ahead. As far as you can stretch them. What do you feel other than sore muscles? Well, let me answer the question for you. You feel right now, you feel vulnerable. Those of you that are not doing it are being protective. No. You feel open you imagine a boxer going into the ring like this? You feel accepting. As a servant on the cross, that's what Jesus was. He opened himself to all the sinfulness of all humanity for all time. And his arms were opened on the cross as the servant for all. Have you ever done the same for someone else? It's called, did you? She sat alone in an old folks' home, lonely and old and gray. She wished that someone, just anyone, would call on her that day. Did you? He lay for days on his hospital bed. The hours were long and hard. He wished someone, just anyone... Would write him a get well card. Did you? Her loved one had died just a few months ago, and all sad and lonely she sat. She wished that someone, just anyone, would drop in for a chat. Did you? He was far from home on a foreign soil, feeling sick, lonely, and blue. He wished that someone, just just anyone, would write him a line or two. Did you? She spent long hours, that teacher, giving the best she knew. She wished that someone, just anyone, would say a brief thank you. Did you? This matter of Christian service, we're living it day by day when we help someone, just anyone, as we walk on life's pathway. Are you? My friends, that middle cross at Calvary is the place where grace And sin collide with a crash. But the wreckage, listen to this, is suffered on the heart of God. The sinner walks away free. Free from sin. Free from sin's penalty. Free to walk with God and freed to live in His heaven for all eternity. Jesus came as a servant to lay down His life for us. On the cross of Calvary, that servanthood was manifested where He opened His arms, or they were open for Him, and they were open to all sinners, even those that were nailing Him to that cross. And in that gesture, we obtained... Eternal life. Eternal life. Ah, oh, oh, do you have an MBA? Story from Scotland tells of a most dramatic rescue. It seems that workmen, not seems, they were, were blasting rock in a quarry, not an unusual thing. And one day, after they had attached the fuse and retired to a safe place and gave Uh, the all-clear alarm, they saw a three-year-old child wandering across the open space where danger was looming. Every passing second meant death was closing in on this child. The workmen called to the child and waved their arms, but he only looked on their strange antics (laughs) with smiles of amusement. And no man dared to go forward knowing the explosion was now just seconds away. Most certainly this child would have been killed but had his mother not appeared on the scene at the moment of crisis. Taking in the situation at a glance, she did what her mother's heart dictated. And I found this very, very intriguing. She didn't run towards the sun, and she didn't yell at him to frighten him. Hello, mothers and fathers. Instead, she knelt down, and she opened wider arms, and she smiled for him to come. And instantly, that three-year-old child ran towards her into her waiting arms. By the way, if you ever have trouble like with a little bit of communication with a little one, maybe a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, whatever. Maybe they're a little child not talking yet and so on. And they're kind of, you just say nothing. Call them by name. Get down close and just put your arms out like that. And they'll come running to you. And shortly after, just seconds later, the area absolutely shook with the force of that explosion, but the child was safe in his mother's arms. I read that. I said, what a picture of the grace of God and of the cross of Jesus with outstretched arms on the cross. Jesus gives his gracious invitation to the whole world indicating what? And we are to come to Jesus for eternal safety. Here's my last question to you. Will you come to Jesus? I extended this invitation last week on Easter Sunday. And I'm going to somewhat repeat myself today and say, if you're here today and heard these messages and know that the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heartstring and you know that you're under conviction for sin and that you need a Savior, you need the love of God operating in your life, And it's time for you to get a brand new start with a brand new life. I'm going to invite you to take the Connect card that's in the seat pocket there in front of you. Just put your name on it. Just write salvation or check off the proper box. Leave it with me before you go today or put it in one of the boxes in the lobby. I don't think messages like this really... Should be considered without giving people an opportunity (laughs) to know and experience our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in a personal saving way. Is that you today? Is that you? Last Supper, scene one. (laughs) Can we pray together? Now, Heavenly Father, once again, we're grateful, grateful, yes, for your word, grateful for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to illuminate these words and to bring them to life. Thankful, Lord, that wherever the word of God is presented, we have the promise that it will not return to you void. So, Lord, whatever heart, whatever person, whatever soul is in need of salvation today, we reach out in love. We reach out in mercy. We reach out in grace, in kindness, in service, and ask God for you to reclaim that lost soul. For those that maybe have accepted you, and maybe they've even followed you in baptism, but there's no evidence by service. There's nothing following. And we know that faith without works is dead. Lord, help us to be servants. Help us to see needs, to get down where the needs are, and then to do something about those needs. Thank you for Jesus. And Lord, forgive us for just being so familiar, we think, with some of these Bible passages that we've exhausted it. We've seen it all. We know the whole story. We understand what's going on and so on. You have so much more to teach us. Make us teachable and willing to obey. We thank you for the blessings that will come to us because of it.